Hey, welcome to my friends that are tuning in with us online today. I want to say hello to the Grams and the Matlocks. I miss you guys, and I hope to see you in person sometime soon. And Ron and Deb Lyon, I miss you guys as well. And Bud and Linda Wall, I know that you're, you want to come back, but when the time is right, we'll look forward to seeing you. So a few weeks ago, our family got away on a camping trip during spring break. It was right after Easter. We needed to get out of town. We were so excited to go to Brown County State Park. If you've never been to Brown County State Park and you like hiking and mountain biking, you need to go there. They have an amazing trail system. And we crammed all the trails we could get into our 72-hour stay while we were there. And if you were to ask my boys, hey, what was your favorite thing? They're going to tell you about a trail called Weed Patch. And we went down Weed Patch about as fast as you could without getting hurt. And they survived it. And it was, it was all great. If you were to ask my wife and my daughter, they're going to tell you about their close encounter with a copperhead on a hike. So we had lots of fun, okay? No one got bit. There were no concussions. We were actually bummed to come back, but I had to go back to work on Thursday. So we were there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, I go to work, and Thursday, as I'm driving home from work, I realized that we had brought a little piece of our outdoor adventure home with us because it was crawling around in the cabin of my truck. And it was not a snake, thankfully, because had it been, I would have bailed. I'm gone. Like, my truck's going this way. I'm going that way. I don't even care what happens. It wasn't a snake, but it was this little guy. Now, if you can't tell what that is, it's just a tick, right? Not just a tick. It's a tick. And they don't strike or have fangs necessarily like a snake. But you know this. If they get embedded into your skin, it cannot be good, right? It's, it's not a good thing. So it was coming at me with the speed of a limping sloth. I saw it going across the windshield, and I grabbed a napkin. I reached up, and I got it, put it in the napkin. But while I was driving, I realized I was squeezing the napkin so tight. And you know, you know why I was doing that, right? Because it's not because I was afraid it was going to strike at me or bite me even. I just didn't want it to get out of my grip because those little guys get someplace bad, and it's not a good thing. And you might be thinking, well, Jerry, this kind of overdramatic, don't you think? Well, yeah, but little things like that can sneak up on you. And to quote one of my favorite bands from the 90s, it's the little things in life that kill, right? It's the little things that when we don't think it's a big deal, and we're like, ah, no big deal. It comes back to haunt us and the ones we love in ways we never anticipate. And so I want you to think about how true this is in every area of your life. Have you ever had a little thing in your eating or sleeping habits that you thought, ah, no big deal? But before you knew it, you put on a few pounds or you're not sleeping well because of that little thing. It's true with the way we spend our time and our money. Oh, I'll buy this there, do this here, make this purchase here. And before you know it, you're in a mountain of debt. It's just a little thing. It just seemed like a little thing. And then there's this, this is true with the things that we're addicted to. It could be social media or pills or pornography or alcohol. Not a big deal at the time or so we think. But then it becomes this addiction that wants to eat us alive. It's the little things that kill. And it's also true in our spiritual lives. And that's what we're going to learn today. Little things that we want to brush off are big things with eternal consequences. So for the last few weeks, we've been reading in, uh, the, or I'm sorry, since the beginning of the year, we've been reading through the Bible together. In the last few weeks, we've been in the First and Second Kings in the Old Testament, Right? And I don't know about you, it's not the most encouraging reading in the world. I was with a friend last night that said, man, this, I just can't wait to get out of Kings. Like, everybody's evil and everything's bad. Well, there is a pattern that we see play out there, right? By the way, if you've fallen behind in the reading plan, can I just tell you it's okay? God still loves you. Tomorrow we're starting Isaiah. And if you want to join us in the reading plan, you can go to day 109, read a few chapters of Isaiah every day. You'll be back on track with us. But we've enjoyed reading through the Bible together. And what we're learning in First and Second Kings 
is the lineage and the heritage of these different kings. And some of them were good, and some of them, honestly, were not so good. So Israel's first king, we learned this several weeks ago, was a guy named Saul. Saul was tall and he was handsome, but that's all he had going for him. Because scripture tells us that Saul, the first king of Israel, had zero heart for God. And as a, re- as a result, he wandered away from God and God allowed him to die and allowed somebody else to become king in his place. And that was King David, the second king of Israel. And if you don't know anything about David, here's what you need to know. Scripture tells us he had a whole heart for God. He loved God. He was devoted to God. Now, that does not mean that David never sinned because his sins, they were big and they were egregious. But the difference with David was his faith was in God. He trusted in God's goodness and grace and forgiveness. So when he died, he was in a restored relationship with God. And as a result, when David died, his son Solomon became king of Israel. And Solomon ruled over Israel for about 40 years. And I want you to listen to how 1 Kings describes Solomon's reign. He's known for lots of things, but 1 Kings 10 says this, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. That's how he was described. And to quote the great theologian Tom Petty, it's good to be king. And if anyone ever lived like a king, it was definitely Solomon, the most powerful king in the world, the wisest man to have ever lived. But in spite of his power and his wisdom and his influence, Solomon made a really dumb decision. He had a pattern in his life that he probably thought wasn't a big deal, and it ruined him. And it led to the downfall of the nation of Israel. We read about it in the very next chapter. 1 Kings 11 says this. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. He had several hundred wives. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He probably thought it was no big deal. We have a kid, one of our kids' Bibles at home. It's a comic book Bible. And it shows Solomon being led off to worship another god and the little speech bubble came up from his head and thought it's no big deal i still worship the god right no big deal but this says if you keep reading it says that solomon did evil in the eyes of the lord he worshiped the god of the ammonites and the detestable god of the ammonites which was into child sacrifice and so the writer of first Kings says solomon did evil in the eyes of the lord his heart was he was half-hearted And so if you're curious about, well, how would you define Solomon's life? Well, you could summarize it just like this. He was the most powerful king in the world. He was the wisest man to have ever lived, but he was half-hearted in his efforts to obey God. And that was no small thing. And here's what you find as you keep reading through 1 and 2 Kings. God punished Solomon's half-hearted efforts by allowing the kingdom of Israel to be ripped into to a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom and they were not friendly with one another but the worst part was that all the people of israel followed solomon's lead and they were half-hearted in their efforts in following god and we're going to see how this plays out in their life today so if you have a bible i want to invite you to turn to first kings chapter 18 we're going to be in and that's where we're going to be today and while you're turning there I, i just want you to think about this Who's following you? Who's watching you? Who, who, who is paying attention to your relationship with God? It could be your spouse or your kids, a neighbor or a coworker or a friend or just a stranger that you meet, but they know that you follow Jesus. I want you to pay attention to how half-hearted efforts in following God can really wreck things in the world around us. It has a ripple effect that can be hard to overcome. And in this story, in 1 Kings 18, we learn that the people of Israel were at a crossroads. 
They, they didn't think of how it would affect how their relationship with God, their half-hearted relationship with God would affect the people around them, but they were at a crossroads that looked something like this. Would they ultimately worship and obey the one true God that had been so good and faithful to them, or were they going to serve and follow the numerous false gods of their enemies? And God had warned them specifically. He said, you always worship me. You never worship them. Now the king in First Kings 18 was a man named Ahab. And the best way to describe Ahab is that he was a spineless wimp of a king. And here's why. On the outside, he looked pretty good. He would claim that he worshipped Jehovah, the one true God of Israel. He named his kids things like owned by Jehovah. And Jehovah is exalted, so his family looked great. But at the very same time, he went and married a notoriously evil woman named Jezebel. And if you don't know anything about Jezebel, here's all you need to know. She makes the wicked witch of the West and Bellatrix Lestrange look tame, okay? Bell she was awful. She was terrible. She had hundreds of Israel's prophets put to death in order to try to make Baal worship the state religion of Israel. And her husband, King Ahab, the king in Israel, was like, oh, whatever you think is best, dear. You go ahead. I trust you. Now, for what it's worth, this god Baal was believed to be the god of the weather. So if you're an Avengers fan, I want you to think of Thor, the god of thunder, right? Baal was like Thor, the god of thunder, lightning, and rain. And that has everything to do with this story. Because when we get to 1 Kings 18, what we learn is that Israel was in the midst of a three-and-a-half-year drought that had been pronounced by a prophet named Elijah because God had said, you declare this and this is what's going to happen. Okay, but here's something really interesting. If you've ever heard of this man named Elijah, I learned this this week, and it's fascinating. It has everything to do with the story we're getting ready to read. Elijah's name in Hebrew literally means the Lord is God. Now, I need your help, and I want you to do this at home with me as well. I'm going to count to three, and we're going to say as loud as we can without screaming, the Lord is God, three times, okay? And I will call you out if I think it's weak. First service was terrible. It was like a whisper. We can do better, right? And there's fewer of you, but I think you can do better. And I want to hear you at home as well. On the count of three, one, two, three, the Lord is God. One, two, three, the Lord is God. That's, okay, come on, come on. The, okay, you all did better than first service. Good for you. Good for you. Hold on to that. That's going to come up later. We're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings 18, verse 17. When Ahab, the spineless wimp king, saw Elijah the prophet, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? Now, clearly, this doesn't seem like a nice greeting, right? Ahab is blaming Elijah for the drought. He's saying, this is your fault. Now, the word troubler here means one who wreaks havoc, a pestilence, or a plague. So basically, what Ahab is saying is, there you are, you plague, you pimple, you canker sore, you Tom Brady fan, I see you, you can't hide from me, you're the worst. He's blaming him, he's getting after him. But listen to Elijah's response. In verse 18, Elijah answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you have, you and your father's house, because you, look at this, abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you followed the Baals. And listen to what Elijah says. Now therefore, send and gather all the people of Israel to meet at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at your wife's table. That's a big table. 
She's feeding all of them. And Elijah says, we're going to have a duel. And it's going to be the 950 of you versus me. And this is where it gets really good in verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, now pay attention. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? Now, depending on your translation of Scripture, it might say the word limping might be replaced with waver. Not a bad translation, but the Hebrew word literally means to sink. So limping is a pretty good word. And what Elijah is saying is, you're just like Solomon. You're limping away to all these other gods. You're ignoring the one true God. How long are you going to be half-hearted in your commitment to Jehovah? Now, I want to stop and make this personal, because that probably seemed like a minor detail to them, but this is a really big deal. I just think, guys, this is no small thing. Eternity hangs in the balance. You're making God mad. You need to stop. Now, last week, my friend Kevin Russell preached an amazing message on idol worship. If you haven't heard it, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it or to watch it, but this is what he said. An idol is anything that we make more important than God, And idolatry is worshiping and serving anything other than God. And when God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, you'll remember the first one was a big one, you shall have no other gods before me. Now here's what God knew that he was reminding us of. When he created us, he's created us to be worshipers. And he wants us to worship him because he knows our hearts are going to want to worship something. The word worship literally just means, think of it like this, worth-ship. We assign worth to something. That's how we worship it. And so we worship things that we think define us, that bring us happiness, fulfillment, and joy. We worship things that we think we can't live without. And so here's my question. What do you worship? Now, I'm going to guess that we all fall into one of three categories. I'm convinced there's only three categories here. And some of us would say, oh, I would never worship anything other than God. I would say, oh, I think that's me. But then there's some of us that might say, worship, like I'm not even spiritual. I'm just here because somebody invited me, okay? They told me they were going to take me to lunch. That's the only reason I'm here. I'm just tuning in because, I don't know, I'm looking for some answers. Those are two good options, but I think there's a third option. I think there's many of us, well, I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going to worship God, but I might worship these other things as well. I'm going to look into other things just to see. So you decide which category you're in. But I want to prove a point that we're all worshipers. So I want you at home, do this as well. Take out your smartphone right now and just hold it up in the air, okay? Just everybody hold it up in the air. Okay, our usher, to keep them up, our ushers are going to come around and collect those. Okay, and if you laugh nervously, oh, it might be a sign of some idol worship, hold it up in the air. Now what I want you to do in just a moment before the usher comes is I want you to delete all your social media profiles. Go ahead and delete them all. Nobody cares anyway. You can start over later. And if you're thinking, well, who would I call in case of an emergency? I got a whole box of these awesome flip phones. I'll give you one of these, okay? I think life would be easier with these, by the way. So I've got a flip phone for you. But while you're at it, let's get rid of our phones and delete the apps. And let's go ahead and cancel all of our streaming services that entertain us. Block all of our favorite websites like ESPN and Facebook and Pinterest. And let's go ahead and unplug our TVs and put them in our closet. Okay, we're going to take all those things. We're going to put them in a safe. We're going to take them away because we don't need those things to be happy or fulfilled, right? And then 
let's just agree for the next 40 days. So around June 1st, until June 1st, no non-essential spending, no golf trips, no retail therapy, just groceries and utilities until June 1st. And that means we can't collect things like furniture for the house or clothes for the kids or shoes or guns or knives. Yes, even bourbon and wine fall into this category. We're not going to collect those things. We're going to give those things up. And just for good measure, let's get the kids out of youth sports until the fall because, well, there's no idol worship that happens there, right? And what if we, before we delete the banking app on our phone, let's just go ahead and take all the money that we were going to spend on non-essential things and let's just make a donation to our favorite nonprofit. I got some friends at, so, uh, at uh, Special Olympics. They would love to have that money, okay? Now, if you're thinking, wait a minute, time out, Jerry. What's any of that? You're like, you're getting up in my business. You're making me nervous. You mind your own business. Those are small things. Why would we worry about that? Yeah, we think they're small things. That's just part of life. God has created us to worship him. The problem is we worship social status and savings accounts and money and security and personal health and money and family safety and personal and professional accomplishments. And did I mention money? I was meeting with a group of men that I meet with every Wednesday morning, and we agreed money is the root of all evil, all kinds of evil, right? Because money feeds all of these things. And it's not that these things are bad. They just cause us to limp away from God. God wants us to worship him because he knows he is our only source of fulfillment. He is the only one that can help us live life the way that life is expected to be lived, but we just want to limp away to other things. And so I want you to think of it like this. If you don't think you have a problem with idolatry, if you're not willing to choose between serving God or anything else, you're guaranteed to limp through life. Would anybody be willing today right now to say, sign me up, I want to limp through the rest of my life? Elijah says, this is a big deal. We need to pay attention. And I want you to pay attention to what he says to the Israelites in 1 Kings 18. He says this, how long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. That is really clear cut. And he's got all the Israelites there. And you would think that they'd be like, yeah, that's a good point. Look at what happens next. And the people did not answer him a word. They were like, oh, mm. just crickets. And so Elijah's like, cool, I'm going to make you choose. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a duel between little old me and all 950 of them. And here's the rules. I get a bull and, and all of them, they get a bull. And I'm going to build an altar and you guys are going to build an altar. And we're going to put wood on the altar and you put wood on your altar. And whoever's God brings down fire from heaven, we'll all just agree that guy's God. Cool? And everybody said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And so Elijah says, guess what? There's just one of me. There's a bunch of you. Why don't you guys go first? And so the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they get busy. In 1 Kings 18, 26, we read this. They took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. Now remember, all of Israel's watching. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. Now, you could say dance. You could translate that dance or jump up and down, but I just think the author is saying, pay attention to this word. They, it looked good. The limping looked great, but it was limping nonetheless. And so I love 
in verse 27. If you like trash talk, here you go. This is Elijah. Picture Uncle Si sipping his tea. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing. Maybe he's deep in thought. He's daydreaming. Or maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he had to go number two, and he needs somebody to go knock on the door to wake him up. Those are Elijah's words, not mine. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep, and he needs somebody to wake him up. Verse 28. So they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. 950 bloody men running around, dancing around. At mid, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation. Now pay attention to this. This was a Jewish offering that would take place at 3 in the afternoon. That's an important detail. But there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. Now, do you know what that tells us? Baal is a phony. Baal didn't show up that day. Just like God knew he wouldn't. Pastor J.D. Greer sums this up. I think this is great. False gods require strenuous dancing to please them. They keep pushing for more. They make us work harder to do better, to obtain more. And when that doesn't work, they tell us to slash ourselves with crash diets and dangerous habits to get results. So what do we do? We work harder and we slash our families. We compromise our integrity in the process. And then Greer ends with this quote. Look at this. False gods only push us towards destruction. It's the bottom line. Nothing good comes from worshiping anything or anyone that is not Jehovah God. Tim Keller says it this, says it like this. If you want to know where the, where the false idols are in your life, just look for the dancing and the slashing. Guys, we dance and we slash. We need to pray, God, would you show us where I'm dancing and slashing? We need to get rid of these things in our life. So Baal proves to be a phony, 100%. And now Elijah says, okay, cool, it's my turn. And he gets everybody's attention and he says, why don't you guys come over here to my workstation? And he rebuilds an altar to Jehovah, the God of Israel. He rebuilds it with 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. 1 Kings 18.33 says this, And Elijah put wood in order and cut the bull into pieces, and he laid it on the wood, and he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And so they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench all around it. So this giant puddle of water. Now remember, they're in the middle of a drought and water was in really short supply. And the duel is to see whose God can make fire. Fire and water, I don't know if you know this, they don't mix necessarily. So this is either an incredibly foolish and arrogant attempt by Elijah or this is an extreme measure of faith. He is saying, you have no idea what's getting ready to happen. Look at verse 36. And at the time of the offering of ablation at three in the afternoon, there's that detail again. Hold on to that. Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know you, O Lord, that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Now listen to that. That's our mission is to help people find their way back to God. Elijah says, would you help the people see that you're turning them back to them? And then in verse 38, look at this. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, 
the stones and it even licked up the water that was in the trench. There was not an ounce of a relic left behind that anyone could pick up and worship instead of you just worship the God that sent the fire. And when all the people saw it, they began to chant Elijah's name. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Remember that? That's what Elijah's name meant. But Elijah knew they're not chanting my name. They were worshiping the God that they had limped away from. That detail blows my mind. I have read this story so many times. I never pieced that together. And Elijah knew that's not for me. That's for him. But God raised up this man with this name that means the Lord is God. And he used him to show everyone everywhere that Jehovah, the God of Israel, is the one true God. And if you keep reading through the rest of the story, here's what happens. Elijah says, great, now that I've got your attention, I want all of you to go slaughter those prophets. And they do. In fairness, they were all bloody anyway, right? They They couldn't run far. They just caught up to him and killed him, and they were dead. They were ready to move on to the next thing. And then Elijah prays, and God sends rain. But here's my favorite detail of the story. I had never thought about this before. Elijah tells Ahab, rain is coming. You need to get in your chariot, and you need to get home so you don't get your chariot all gunked up with mud. So Ahab takes off. And Elijah, the old man, the prophet, tucks his robe into his tunic and is empowered by God to outrun the chariot on foot. Think about this. Ahab and the people had been limping because they had no faith in God. But the old man Elijah was empowered supernaturally by God through faith to run and not grow weary. Does that not blow your mind? Physically and spiritually? And so as we wrap up today, let's make this real for us today. I don't know if you've noticed, we live in a world that is very divided. And we limp after everything under the sun. Money and politics and leaders and the perfect family, sports. We're all limping after something. But here's what we can learn from this story. False gods require strenuous efforts for us to please them. But the one true God can be known by grace through faith. In this story, the prophets of Baal, they yell and they shout, but Elijah simply, all he does is reach out and pray to his God in faith. And he trusts that he's going to show up. And he does. Now this is really important for those of us that follow Jesus. This is what separates Christianity from all other religious systems. Because every other religious system in the world says, you know what, you bring to the, whatever you bring to the table, that is how you're accepted. So you need to work harder, and you need to bring more. You need to produce all that you can so you're better than the next person. That is where your worth is. That's why you're acceptable. But the gospel of Jesus says, oh, no, 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 that's not true. We're going to reverse that. You are accepted by faith in what's been done for you. And your response isn't to work harder. Your response is to worship and obey. Worship and obey. But there's other lessons we can learn from this same story. False gods fool us into mutilating ourselves, but the one true God mutilated himself for us. The prophets of Baal cut themselves open. They bled everywhere, thinking it would please their God. But all the writers of the New Testament and many prophets in the Old Testament predicted that Jesus, the Messiah, would be mutilated on our behalf. He would pay for the penalty of our sins. It was our blood that should have been offered, but it was his instead. And anyone that puts their faith in him is forgiven and restored back to their heavenly father. 
But there's another detail. False gods ultimately prove to be powerless, but the one true God proves to be miraculous. And the miracle in this story was fire from heaven, which I've never seen, and I think it would be really cool as long as it's not on me. But that doesn't even compare to the ultimate miracle. The ultimate miracle is that the Old Testament prophesied a Messiah that would live and die and be resurrected. The writers of the New Testament have on Jesus' mouth the words, I will die, but I will be raised from the dead three days later. That's the greatest miracle of all time. We talked about this on Easter a few weeks ago. The writers of the New Testament tell us that Jesus' body was mutilated beyond recognition to pay for my sin and for yours. The gospel writer John tells us that as he hung on the cross, his heart was pierced to prove that he was dead. They took his body, dead body down. They put it in a tomb. They sealed it, and it was guarded for three days. And when all hope seemed lost, Jehovah says, I'm ready. But he didn't just give Jesus back his heartbeat. He raised him to power and to glory. And when Jesus walked out of his tomb, he proved he is exactly who he claimed to be, the one and only Son of God, sent to save us from our sins. But there's one other detail that I don't want you to miss. 1 Kings 18 starts with a drought, and it ends with rain for a dry and thirsty land. And that's exactly what Jesus can do for us because false gods cause a drought in our soul, but the one true God satisfies our soul with living water that is found in Jesus. Jesus promises to give us living water. Now, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, that's going to sound weird to you because you've never experienced it. But I have, and I know that many of you have. I know many of you that follow Jesus. You would say, yes, I've experienced that. You can't describe it until you experience it. And even though life is hard and even though people die and even though terrible things happen, you know he is with you and you can feel him making you new inside over and over and over again. His Holy Spirit confronts you about your sin and says, let's not limp away, let's come back. That's what it looks like. That is living water inside of us. And no matter what happens, we know he is with us. And he says, I'll, I'll, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what living water looks like. I have experienced that. Many of you have too. That's what Jesus wants us to experience. Pastor and author Tim Keller explains it like this. Jesus is the only God that if you find him, he will satisfy you. And if you fail him, he will forgive you. Let that sink in for a moment. If you find him, Jesus is the only God that will forgive you. And if you fail him, I'm sorry, if you find him, he will satisfy you. And if you fail him, he will forgive you. So let's be honest with ourselves for just a moment. What's causing you to limp away from Jehovah God? We all have something. We are all worshipers. We all limp. Jesus says, come back. I want to fix that limp. It might be money. It might be career or sports. I could, I could list all the things off, you guys. I limp. I don't like that I limp. Jesus wants to fix our limp. And so just like the Israelites were at a crossroads. Will you, will I, will we continue to limp through life half-heartedly or will we begin to run with God through faith in his son Jesus? That's the story of Elijah. That can be the story of our lives. This is why Jesus has come. He promises to fulfill the deepest desires of our soul 
and all he requires is our faith and trust in him. Now, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want you to know you can do that today and you can receive the gift of salvation. It begins by admitting that you have sinned against God. By the way, I personally have sinned against God. We all have. You admit that and say, I have sinned against you. I have wrecked my relationship. I need your forgiveness. I put my trust in you. You pray that prayer in your own words. And then I want you to find me or Kevin or Nikki after service or drop us a comment online. We'll follow up with you. We want to celebrate that decision. You respond by being baptized into him. You surrender your life to him and he will make you new the way he promises. But for those of us that are following Jesus, we got to realize when we're limping, we have to repent and turn back to him. There is no space for false gods in our life and our walk with Jesus. Now, as we close, I just want to pray over us something that I read this week that has everything to do with this story. It comes from Psalm 103. Here's our prayer. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, pray his, his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Listen, who forgives all your sins and heals your diseases. I think that includes the limps in our life who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desire with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That sounds like Elijah, doesn't it? Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this story that at three in the afternoon on Good Friday, Jesus, you cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. Those details are in your word for a reason because you want us to know that everything points to you, Jesus. You have paid for us. You were mutilated for us. Thank you for being so good to us. Would you help us to destroy the idols in our lives and to follow you closely? I pray for my friends that are listening today that have never surrendered. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd grab hold of them right now and you'd speak to their heart. And that you would say, just come and follow me. And that they would respond. And they would, they would feel your presence wash over them. And they would know they are being made new. And they are being filled with your spirit. Forgiven. Jesus, we love you. And we praise you. It's in your great name we pray.